you open your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Hold on, Kelvin. I didn't turn myself on yet. There we go. Matthew chapter 5. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come to the portion of our service where our focus is on your word, and in particular now, Father, we we make our way through the gospel of Matthew. Father, we ask, as all we always do, that, Lord, that you will enable us to, to grab hold of the truth that is being given to us here in this passage. We pray that with understanding that there also will be a great desire to, to want our thinking to be shaped by your word. That, Father, we may think your thoughts after you. That, Father, we may be molded by your spirit and so that we reflect to a greater degree the person of Jesus Christ. The Father, that we will have a deepening joy in our life and be able to live a life of, of wisdom, being able to, to do what's right, to know what's right, as well as to do what's right, and be a blessing to others, and again, to live a life, Lord, that is full and complete in every way. So, Father, as we always do, we are grateful that you've given to us, Father, your word and preserved it for us, and we ask that you bless. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew 5, verse 38. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So the, the, the message title is Lex Talionis. I did look it up to make sure I'd say that right. And basically that term is otherwise known as the view that punishment for crimes must be, must be in exact proportion to the crime that was committed. And so that's the idea, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. This, this term dates back to the Law of Moses. Uh, it's also found in the Code of Hammurabi. And the general idea, again, is cited in modern times by both scholars and lay people in support of punishment that fits the crime. So that's why we don't have a... Uh, um, if an individual... Um, steals a car, we don't invoke the death penalty for doing that. Now, when it comes to justice and, I guess you would say, modes of punishment and degrees of punishment, that does vary a great deal. Um, when I was the chaplain at the jail, um, the man who was the, I can't remember his title, he was from Ghana, and and I don't think he, he's not the president of the country, but I think his title was he was president over uh, the courts and prisons in Ghana. And he was a Christian. And so he came into the dormitory and he was there uh, talking and an answering questions. And one of the inmates raised their hand and said, in Ghana, uh, how much time will a man receive for stealing a car? And without hesitation, he said, he will receive nine years. <laughs> Everybody's eyes went, nine years? Why so much? And uh, the president said, well, why so little? 
you steal a man's car, he cannot go to work. He cannot support his family. And he just kind of go through a long list of things. He says, how dare you think that is such a minor inconvenience that you should be slapped on the wrist? He says, I'm in favor of being more than nine years. But for now, nine years will suffice. Nobody said a word. And then later on, somebody raised their hand and said, well, what do you think about our justice system? And he said, he said, your justice system has gone awry because you no longer hold people responsible for the pain and suffering that they cause. And he says, it's your fault that um, the jails are so full. Because he said, if we had been punishing correctly, there would be less individuals committing crimes because of the amount of time you have to pay for whatever it is that you've done. I didn't find a whole lot wrong with what he was saying. I was kind of in agreement with that. But this is what Jesus is talking about. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. In the book of Exodus, which is the context of this command, Exodus 21, beginning of verse 22, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall oppose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and stripe for stripe. Leviticus chapter 24, beginning in verse 17. Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good, life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor as he has done it, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, and whoever kills a person shall be put to death. So you can see that here in, in the beginning, is, this is God's law that he's given, and he takes this idea of, uh, there was, I was taking responsibility for the wrong that we do very seriously, and that it is not to be, we are not to in, inflict injury without thought. Right? There, there needs to, a lot needs to go into that. The idea that, that we are fully responsible for what we do. There's no, oh, I was angry, or it was, there's none of that. It is, this is what, what the law says. This is what you're going to do. Deuteronomy 19, beginning in 19b, it says, So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear and fear, and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eyes shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, and foot for foot. I've had a few discussions with individuals who they were personally against the death penalty. I understand being against the death penalty in the degree that, or in the sense that, uh, you clearly want to make sure that whoever's being put to death is truly guilty uh, of the crime. My personal belief, which I believe is based on the scripture, is that the reason why the death penalty would be correct when it comes to murder is because there is great value in the life of the individual whose life was taken. Some individuals just try to reverse that and say that because we should be valuing life, we then should not take the life of the one who has committed the murder. But I, I, I think that's backwards and wrong. Um, I do know that there's been difficulty in our country where there have been many individuals who've been incarcerated for things they've not done. Um, and it seems to be that in many cases, not all, but in many cases, um, there was a willful neglect 
uh, and even willful uh, difficulties or, or purposeful problems uh, where individuals have maybe forged or created evidence against individuals or buried evidence, that kind of thing. And all those things I think need to be uh, dealt with very, really very severely when it comes to that. Uh, but nonetheless, there is this, you know, there, there is a sense of justice that, it, that is in the Bible. Now, there's room for mercy, but normally mercy really doesn't carry a lot of weight if you never enforce just, if you don't have justice. You know, it just, it, it, it becomes nothing. Uh, it becomes almost like an entitlement, in a sense. Uh, and I, I think that's really skewed um, a lot of individuals' understanding, where they begin now to view justice, I guess except in certain cases, um, depending on whatever their, their prejudices are. Um, but it does skew our, our understanding of what real justice is and how uh, th things are, are to go and, and how much better society is if there's true justice that's taking place. So what we have here, what Jesus has given, and what we have here in the Old Testament, in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, is we have a legal principle to drive the courts or the legal system in their judgments to prevent them from dealing harshly or too lightly with the guilty parties. So in each of these situations, this is not for the individual to exact revenge. Even when it came to the pregnant woman who's, who is, let's say, she's hurt by some men, but the baby comes out unharmed, it does talk about the individual setting the, the, the fine, but then that seems to be something that is agreed upon by the magistrates or by those who are judging. It's not just an individual just arbitrarily saying, yes, a million dollars or whatever. There, there's, there's a, he's making a statement, but the judiciary, whatever that is, however that's set up, that's, that's being working together to create, uh, I guess you would say, the proper amount for whatever's been done. So... The main thing to remember is that this is not a formula here for individuals to some kind to be able to somehow exact revenge on others. That's forbidden in the scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35, what does God say? Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, uh, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. So when God says vengeance is mine, and then if you go into the New Testament of Romans, God says vengeance is mine, I will repay. Uh, vengeance is, 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 uh, a, is sacred. We're not allowed to take revenge on individuals. That's reserved for God who knows all things. He knows what really took place and why. And that, that is in his arena. Uh, that's why one of the reasons why governments were set up so that you don't have men taking the law in their own hands, so to speak. Uh, you have individuals who are to be thinking soberly and correctly and collectively uh, obviously being guided by God is, is the assumption in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy to, to uh, bring about justice and a just society. But remember that when, when Jesus makes this statement, again, remember what he's trying to do. It goes back to the very beginning. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you want to enter the kingdom of God. So we want to make sure that we're not missing that point. So it's not just a discussion about whether we should still be living by a tooth for tooth and that kind of thing, uh, that is the background for exposing what's in the heart of man and revealing the kind of righteousness, the inner righteousness or the true righteousness that God demands. So he begins in verse 39. Here's the first scenario. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So this is the 
This is in part a foundational principle. Now, immediately what happens with this passage, uh, at least in many circles, people want to get into this whole thing about self-defense. Okay, th there's, no, there's, there's nothing in here about self-defense. Self-defense is fine. This is not saying if somebody gouges out your eye, then let them gouge out the other eye. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about a slap. So we want to make sure we don't go beyond what he's talking about here. All right, so if somebody gouges out your eye, hopefully you're not going to let them gouge out the other eye. That would just be foolishness uh, to allow that. There is a place for self-defense, uh, period. And just, you, know, you can't use this passage to somehow say that we should be passive in every aspect of life. I don't think it's there. But the idea here is that someone is moving against you. Someone seeks to abuse you. Uh, you do have legal options in all of this and rights, but your first move should not be that. The idea here is somebody wants to do this. Your first move is not against them. So what's really, what does he mean when he says all this? So Jesus is talking about a slap on the cheek. A slap on the cheek is often, it's painful. It's insulting, which is probably the main part of it. Normally it was inflicted with the back of the hand. There would even be a legal fine for such a slap. And if you were slapped with the back of the hand, then the fine would be double of an open-handed slap because it was insulting to the victim's honor. So the rabbis equated a backhanded slap to spitting on a person, pulling off their garment, or loosing a woman's hair in public. Now, I don't know if that went on very much. I don't know what the deal is with that, but that you do that. There would be a double fine. So as Christ is teaching, the disciples should be willing to endure another insulting blow rather than lash back in anger. So he's not telling us here to be a doormat. But let me say something about being a doormat. Because some people have this idea that as a Christian, that we've never, we are never called by God to be a doormat. And I would disagree. I think there are times that that's exactly what we are, we're a doormat. Our rights are trampled, someone's insulting us, and we, you don't need to go after that individual. It's not a position of weakness, right? Doesn't mean you're a coward. A coward can do the same thing, but it's not, a, it's not what a coward does. You're making a choice to not go after the individual. Uh, you, you are choosing to not move against them. And that's what he's, and that's what he's talking about. Let me read to you what John Calvin said. He said, The present subject is retaliation. To restrain his disciples from that kind of indulgence, he forbids them to render evil for evil. He afterwards extends the law of patience so far that we are not only to bear patiently the injuries we have received, but to prepare for bearing fresh injuries. The amount of the whole admonition is, that believers should learn to forget the wrongs that have been done to them, that they should not, when injured, break out into hatred or ill will or wish to commit an injury on their part, but that the more the obstinacy and rage of wicked men was excited and inflamed, they should be more fully disposed to exercise patience. There is nothing here that forbids self-defense. So again, he seeks to make this really clear. The idea is that when someone is, you know, you're having an argument with somebody, they just don't like you, this individual wants to insult you, 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 it's not tit for tat. Your first instinct as a believer is to not protect your pride. 
I guess it would be one way to put that. We don't have to worry about that. It doesn't matter what people are thinking. I know that's hard. It's easy to say. It's really hard when you're kind of in the public and that kind of thing takes place. And we're not really, I don't know how often we are involved in this, but the bottom line is, is I believe he's making this pretty clear as to what our initial response should be. It's one of patience first. Second scenario, verse 40. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So in much the same way, a disciple should not pursue a vendetta against someone who files a suit against us. Now, you notice that it doesn't say that this lawsuit is legitimate or not. I would think that he's dealing with a legitimate suit for whatever the reason. Something has happened and you're being sued for your tunic. You know, that didn't have a lot of, you, didn't have, you would not have a lot of financial um, settlements back in that day because, you know, it, it wasn't a cash-rich society. You have the very, very rich who have cash. Everyone else is day-to-day and the main economic way to get through life is bartering. But the idea here is that you've been sued for your tunic and whatever, whatever's going on here, this is what seems to be a legitimate suit um, where they're seeking to recover some losses that have been caused by something you've done. So with all that, he just basically says, give more than what you're legally obligated to do. Giving more than what is expected would promote reconciliation. So the idea is that you are, you are, you want reconciliation. You want things to be right. And so whatever the settlement happens to be, you are willing to go the next step to make sure they know that you don't have any ill will towards them. Now, in Jewish society, you know, they, everything was religious for them, and, and their courts was religious. Everything was based on the law of Moses, and a lot of things would be settled in various ways, where there would be kind of an informal hearing, or, you know, it wouldn't be like a trial, and you set a trial date, and you have all your lawyers and a jury. There's none of that going on. You just have, you know, some, some godly men, some, some of the elders, and you bring your case before them, and they question some people, and they ascertain what needs to be done, and they make a decision. And so it's kind of a very informal, a very fluid kind of a situation. But the idea is that what Jesus is dealing with here is, is our attitude. I'm the one that's being sued, and I'm the one that's lost. It appears all to be on the up and up, but I'm not to, in one sense, just unwillingly or in a stingy way, pay whatever I'm supposed to pay, but give more. Because my concern is reconciliation. I'm not viewing that person as an adversary. That's not how I'm supposed to be looking at them. While the rights of the innocent were protected by law, the righteous need not necessarily claim their rights. A righteous man would be characterized by humility and selflessness. Instead, he might go the extra mile to maintain peace. (coughs) So, again, this is what Christ is is expecting from his disciples. Remember that what he's looking for is an inner righteousness where you are, where it says in Romans, as much as possible, as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Where we really want to, to have peace with others. We, we don't view them where, again, in a negative way. Uh, the idea is that we know who we are in Christ. I know who I am because God is my Father. Even if I am taken advantage of, I don't have to worry a lot about that. God will take care of my needs. There's, there's, uh, this, is, this is how we live out our faith. 
Living in our faith is not just that you go to church on Sunday and that you read your Bible. It, it includes all of that. But it includes our interaction with people and, and the attitudes that we carry within us towards the world around us. Some of us, maybe a lot of us, but some of us can have a very skewed view of other people. I know I do. My first thought usually is, I don't trust them. That's my thought. Someone's approaching me, I'm thinking, what's up? <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, I shouldn't be that way. Now, I try not to act that way. You know, I'm, even though I'm thinking those things, I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't say, why are you coming to me? What's wrong? What do you want? You know, I'm not doing that. You know, I'm going to be very friendly, very nice, very gracious and all that because I don't know I'm supposed to be. All right, but I also know what's going on inside my head. Uh, and so the idea here is that we can be kind and, and we should want to be kind and we should be, in one sense, thinking the best. It doesn't mean that you think foolishly. We don't live in denial that there's not bad people out there trying to do bad things. We're aware of all of that. All right, but, 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 but we decide how we're going to, we dictate how we're going to approach people and how we're going to live. The third scenario is, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Now, we don't really face that per se. Well, what that's based on is they were under Roman occupation. And the way that it worked is a, a Roman soldier, if he's on the road traveling, could stop any individual, no matter where you're going or what you're doing, and demand that you carry their pack. And you carry their pack for a mile. And if it's going in the opposite direction, then so be it. If you resisted, they could hurt you. They would have the legal right to hurt you. So you pretty much didn't have a choice because, you know, the Roman soldiers walking around with a shield and a couple of swords and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, you're not exactly, and he's a trained soldier, so you're not exactly going to be resisting. But the idea here is that when this takes place, he makes no comment on whether or not it's a good thing for the Romans to do this or if it's oppressive. He just says, go to should be willing to serve and go to. That's what he's talking about. Well, the idea is when you're put into a situation where you're inconvenienced or maybe even being taken advantage of by your boss to work late or whatever, what's the, what's the attitude? Just go the extra mile. See, there are times when we are a doormat. And, and that doesn't mean that someone can do this for the rest of your life. It's not what he's saying. We don't want to go beyond what he's talking about. But what he's saying to us here is that our initial response to these situations where we're inconvenienced or what have you, is, is to serve those individuals and, even, and, and go beyond that. It's just, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, it's like I, I tell some people this sometimes. You know, it's, not, it's not a sin to be kind. It's not a sin to be nice to people. We, you don't know what's going on in their life. We, we need to kind of remind ourselves of that, that we really don't know what's going on. That there could be all, I mean, their life, especially if they're a non-believer, their life is probably a mess. There's a lot of things in their life that cause them unhappiness, that cause them to be in a bad mood, that cause them maybe want to take advantage of whoever. All right? So again, this is not a position of weakness. You are making this choice. I am choosing. I'm a servant of God. I'm going to, you know what? It's an inconvenience, but I'm going to do this because it's, it's right by God. It's the attitude that God wants me to have. So for some of us, maybe for a lot of us, but for some of us, we really have to rearrange a lot of the ways that we think and the way that we respond to people and how people treat us. Because oftentimes what we do is we treat others according to how they're treating us. But we know from the scripture that we ought to treat others according to how we, want to, how we would want to be treated. And so, you know, we need to 
we need to kind of put this into, into, the, into works to where we're doing these things where we ought to. And there will be those who will take advantage and they will not be grateful for what you're doing and they will not notice if you've gone the extra mile and that's not why you're doing it. And you can't worry about that. We need, we need to be kind to other individuals. We, we, have, we have the wealth to do that. And when I say wealth, it's the wealth that we have and the relationship that we have with Christ. And, and we have a lot to share. I, hopefully you have a great sense of inner peace and contentment with life that comes from knowing Christ. There's a lot of people who they just they don't have that. They have a lot of inner turmoil, mental anguish that's going on. And even though it may be kind of an, an abrupt introduction to that individual, we can, there are things that we can do, hopefully to communicate or bring into the life this peace that we have, where a door will be open for us to be able to share with them what we possess, which is Christ. And so we need to act like individuals who actually know God. Now, again, we're not living up to the standards that the world has set. No, we're living up to the standards that God has set. And Christ is giving them to us here. In the fourth scenario, he says this, Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now here, let me kind of give, once again, remind us of the context of what's being said here. All of these scenarios that we've given, that we've read through so far, and the ones that come next, we're dealing with adversaries or enemies. So I believe that what he's saying here, this is not just a general statement on people who beg from you. It's not what this is. He's talking specifically about someone who's come against you, about someone who's an enemy. And this is what he's talking about. So this is not a guideline so that when you drive your car and you go off one of the off-ramps on the Truman and there's a guy or girl holding a sign that you have to give them money. I, I, don't, I don't think you have to give them money, first of all. I, I don't think that's necessarily even biblical to do that. I do believe that we need to try and offer help most of the time, many of them don't want the kind of help we want to give them, not what I would call real help, um, you know, to kind of change their circumstances. But this is not just some general principle that whenever you see anybody who's begging, that you just put the blinders on, believe everything they say, you just give them money for whatever the reason. It's not that there's more goes, way more goes into how we are to deal with that. But in this situation, the idea is, is that someone is your enemy or someone is your adversary, and now that person finds themselves in need. And now you find yourself in a position that you're able to help or you can, you know, you want to stick it to them. You're not allowed to do that. God is now telling us how he wants us to handle this situation, which obviously will be a way for us to be able to reveal that individual the strength of the relationship that we have with God and to reveal to them the heart of God. Because that individual who has treated you poorly, they are normally aware they've treated you poorly. And they are aware you have the upper hand. And you're not taking advantage of the upper hand. You're actually seeking to help them. So, again, not a statement or a general statement about behavior towards anyone who begs for help. But again, this is in reference to helping someone out who has harmed you in the past in one way or the other. It was reported, I think it was when I was reading through parts of Josephus, he said there was a Pharisee, he didn't give the name, but there was a Pharisee who taught that you should never give an enemy, give to an enemy, since they might use it to do further harm to the giver. Well, that's true. That can be done. But that's not the action that we are to take. 
We're not to be thinking that. Jesus, on the other hand, is teaching his disciples to view an enemy's poverty, maybe hunger, as an opportunity to express love and generosity, which is what the Bible has always been teaching. Proverbs chapter 25, beginning in verse 21. If your enemy is hungry, give them bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. So that's just a reminder that as Jesus is explaining to the people the kind of righteousness that God desires of them, that Jesus is not giving them something brand new. What he's giving them is just, he just takes what the Old Testament's saying and basically puts another spotlight on it, takes away all the twisting that some of the Pharisees were doing, and says, no, let's just, what does it say? This is what it says. This is what you do. Exodus chapter 23. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving with him. You shall rescue it with him. So again, the idea is you lend a helping hand. That if, that if, if you want to do, you know, hopefully you want to do the will of God. This is the will of God for you and your life. When there are individuals who you know don't like you, individuals who may have said bad things about you or bad things to you, or they've moved against you, and they are now in some kind of need, it is the will of God that you help them. That's the will of God. If you don't do that, you are rebelling against God and you are disobeying God. So this is not some suggestion. This is not, oh, what a great thought. This is not, oh, well, you know, one day I hope to be there. You've just heard the command, you're there. That God is not asking you and I to do something that we are incapable of doing. Uh, he's only asking us to do what we can do. Clearly, with his help, we can do this. And he's also not saying for you to wait till you have the right attitude. That's, no, that's not in the Bible. Because some people try to use it as an excuse. Well, I mean, I was going to help him out, but, you know, I, I just know I was doing it for the wrong reason. And I, I know we need to have good motives. Yes, you do. But you also need to do what's right, period. That's not being harsh. That's not some new way of looking at things. That's not being misunderstanding or that's not taking into consideration our weaknesses. All right, because sometimes our weaknesses are made up. They're just an excuse. It is a weakness that you don't have the proper attitude, but it's not debilitating. You can ignore it and do what's right. And that's what he tells us to do. All right, so if you're 12 years old, and there's someone in school who's been saying some nasty things about you, or maybe making fun of you, or maybe even bullying you, and that individual now needs help, you need to help them. If you're a Christian, 12 years old, 10 years old, 14 years old, no more of this world stuff, no more what will my friends think. No, 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 no. What does God demand or what does God think? And we do this. So this applies to children. This applies to teenagers. This applies to young adults. And it applies to those of us that are more well-seasoned. Those of us who've experienced much more harm. We've had, we, we may have many more enemies. We may have in our mind a long list of justifying reasons why this individual may need to suffer a little longer because of what they've done to us. And God says, no. Because what do we read 
before, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You and I don't have a right to exact vengeance on anyone for any reason. Now, just so you know, I know that for those of us who might not even be able to think about anybody who has anything against us, it's very easy to say, I know that. I also know that if there's been some individuals who have caused some deep hurt or resentment, that's hard. Because along with what they've done to us, we often, we don't like them. I don't like them. And not only that, maybe we've gone the, the, the extra step and we're actually a wee bit happy that they're down and out. We, it's like, yeah, they had it coming. I'm so glad I'm alive to see them reap what they've sown. Now, you may not be that dramatic, but that joy is still there. And we need to confess that to the Lord. The Lord takes care of that. Because remember this. How many of the good things that God has given you did you deserve? How many of us deserved to reap what we've sown and God's been merciful to us and we've not reaped what we've sown? Maybe a little bit, but not what we really deserve. God's been gracious. God is, it, it, they need God's grace as well. And we may be the instrument that would give God greater glory because we've been the object of their, of, or the target of their attacks. Jesus taught again that the Old Testament does not justify acts of personal vengeance. Although the community should act to punish crimes, our society should punish crimes according to the principles of lex talionis, which that should be just, individuals should respond with grace and forgiveness to those who have sinned against them. So what we need to remember is that we're Christians. And God desires that we live and act like Christians. It's not really that hard. It's actually pretty freeing to be free from the tyranny of wanting to see others get what they deserve and living with the frustration that maybe they're not getting what they deserve. We need to let those things go by forgiving and living the way that God would have us to live. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you, Lord, for really the very straightforward teaching of Jesus. But one, Lord, that, at least for some of us, that can strike very, very deeply. And Father, I ask that uh, for those who may actually struggle with some of this, I pray that, Father, you will help them. I pray, Lord, you will soften their hearts to your commands. They will soften their heart to the principle that you are laying out here. And that they will allow themselves to be used by you in the life of anyone. And maybe even more so in the lives of those that they know don't like them. I do pray, Lord, that as you enable them to do that, they will see that you are glorified. And perhaps see you soften the heart of those that are their adversaries. And it will be an avenue to the gospel. Father, for those of us who may not know Christ... I pray, Lord, that people will realize that the kind of justice that is laid out in the Bible, nobody should ever want that for themselves. Because that would then mean to be eternally separated from God. And what we need, Father, more than anything, and those of us who are believers know this, what we need is mercy. 
What we need is grace. We don't deserve it. And I pray, Lord, that if there are those here who don't know Christ, that you will open their eyes to understand what, what, is, what is true justice and what does true justice mean for them and how that would be exacted in their life and that there is only one who has the right to offer mercy, which is Christ, and he does offer mercy and he willingly offers it to those who will come to him. And I pray, Lord, that you will help them to recognize that he is their only hope and their only salvation, and that they will believe in Christ. Father, we ask this morning that you will cause us to think often about these things. And Lord, that it will be the strong desire of our heart for you to change our attitudes through the teaching of your word. We thank you, and we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.